Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 41 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, my guest today is literally here by popular demand. Honor Nation has spoken, and they have made it clear that they want to see more of this man in Ring of Honor. He is Tony Deppen. Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, Kev, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to speak with you. As, uh, you know, like I said, uh, ever since you made your debut in the Pure Tournament, the, the Ring of Honor fans have said they want to see more of you. And, and that's why, uh, you know, you came back to Final Battle, you're back for the next set of TV tapings. And, uh, hey, the ROH Strong Podcast, you know, as Matt Taven would say, we follow the trends. That's a good thing to follow. Absolutely. But before we get into, you know, there's a lot we want to talk about. I want to talk about your wrestling career, obviously, uh, what you did before Ring of Honor. Uh, but first thing I have to ask you on a personal note, I understand that you became a father a couple months ago. Yes, I did. Uh, November 19th. Well, first of all, congratulations uh, on that. So Thank you. this is your first, correct? This is your first child. Yes, this is my wife's first. My wife and I's first kid. So I have to ask you, what is it like uh, two months in being a, being a father? Is it uh, crazy? Is it what you expected? What, what, how are we doing so far? It's not too bad so far. Uh, the first, like, two weeks, he didn't sleep too well. Like, I remember uh, the first two weeks or so after I came down for final battle, and I actually got a full night's rest, and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> but now he's getting a lot better with his sleeping schedule. He sleeps for four hours on, four hours off, or like four hours on, like an hour off, four hours again. So it's not as hectic as people told me it was going to be. But somebody told me like when he gets as a bet to like two years old, that's when he gets worse. <laughs> so looking forward to that. Yeah, well, you know, they call it the terrible twos for a reason. Uh but, you know, I have a couple kids, and uh, for us, it was uh, – my wife and I, it was the terrible threes. We actually found three was worse than two. So, uh, there you go. There's something for you to look forward to in the next few years. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> well, as we are speaking right now, you are actually in the bubble. And uh, I know it's not your first time in the ROH bubble. So, how is that going? I mean, I, I have not participated in this. I have not been quarantined. So, what is it like sort of being on, on lockdown in your hotel room? Well, it kind of sucks, to be honest, because I don't play video games or anything. So, like, I and I don't really like TV as well. So, I literally just sit here with TV on the background and just, like, I'll FaceTime my wife and the baby. I'll just – I'll read a book. Uh, I've been drinking because I have nothing better to do. <laughs> and, like, we're, we're not even allowed to leave. Like, Ring of Honor is taking the – the most precautions we possibly can to make sure we can wrestle, we can get paid and we can have more shows. So even when it comes to food, we have to order DoorDash for food and we're not allowed to go out and get it. They bring it up to us. So like just a whole lot of nothing. And then you just kind of find ways to work out until we get the okay that we're allowed to go to the gym. Like, and the only time we're allowed out of our room 
is an allotted time to that we schedule to go to the gym for like a half hour or 45 minutes. So you have to get creative in the, in the room with the workouts, right? Do you bring like uh, bands or that kind of stuff? What do you, what do you I, do? I have my bands. I was going to bring my kettlebells, but then I'm just like, I don't feel like making like eight trips up and down the steps. Cause I'm on the top floor this time. So like we have like ottomans and stuff in here for, for the chair. So we'll use that. Like I know a few guys have used that. I've used it. Uh, the last time Rhett told me, hey, like, hey, if you have a couch, get underneath the couch and use it as uh, something, to, uh, leg press. I was like, oh, okay, so I have a couch this time. All right. Well, hey, if you're going to take advice from anybody, I think uh, Rhett Titus is the guy to listen to. Pretty much. Yeah, the guy looks like a million bucks. Good for him. Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> well, since we're talking about, you know, the pandemic and, and all the precautions and everything like that, you actually had COVID, Right. Yes, I did. It was not fun. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, I've, you hear different stories. Some people have it, and they said, you know, it really wasn't that bad. I uh, got over it quickly. Other people, it's a lot worse, obviously, in, in some people's instances, if they have pre-existing conditions. I mean, it can be, it can be fatal, as we know. Uh, so what was it like for you? I mean, how long were you – what did you feel like, and, and how long did it, you know, sort of knock you out? Well, I was uh, at a show, and I came, I came home. And I, like, I've been getting tested just because like when I did uh, like Ring of Honor shows for the pure title, I was just like, okay, I'm all, now every time I come home from shows, I'm going to make sure I get tested every time. So I was like, I'm going to get tested when I get home anyways. And I always wait like two days, three days because you don't want to get a false negative. And around Tuesday, I started feeling a little funky. I'm like, well, I'm going to get the test anyways, but I'm pretty sure I have it. And then the next four days was just me lying on my bed uh, or actually on my pullout couch. Cause I, I slept downstairs cause my wife was still pregnant at the time. And I didn't want, I don't want to take a risk of getting anything with her. She even, she got it though, but she didn't have the symptoms I had, but um, I just felt like somebody kept dunking me in an ice bath and then all of a sudden it would stop. And then I would heat up to like 110 degrees, go back down real quick. Uh, I had body aches all day, a headache that wouldn't go away no matter what they, if it would have gone on for like extra day, I would probably ask my wife to take me to the hospital because I normally don't like complain about being sick, but that was, that just whooped my ass. Like it was terrible. And then I lost my scent, uh, my taste and my smell and I still can't smell and I still can't taste. So, and it kind of like, it takes the motivation out of you. Like I was, I was really uh, adamant on going to the gym every day. Like I was, you know, I was, I was killing it every day. And then after that, like after I had my two week quarantine went away, I, like to go and I came back negative, I had to find a lot of motivation just to even like want to do anything. Wow. So this was back in October. Uh, yes. Right. And, and so yes. you, your sense of smell and taste still hasn't come back at this point. Nope. It's like off and on like, I, like one, like one second, I'll be able to smell something, but then it goes away. Then I can't smell anything again. And then like, I'll be able to taste certain things, but then I go eat that thing again and I can't taste anything again. Kind of sucks. Cause I know people that had uh, like they had COVID and they lost their smell and their taste for four months. So wow. needless to say, I didn't get to enjoy Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of all times to get it right. Thanksgiving. Know. And you got all that good food, but well, I'm glad to hear otherwise that you're, uh, that you're healthy now. And, uh, you know, you're, you're back, you're, you're back in ring of honor, you're raring to go. 
And let, let's talk about that. When I said backed by popular demand, I mean, that wasn't hyperbole there just to make a, a, a snappy intro. I mean, the fans have spoken and they have said that they want you back in Ring of Honor ever since they saw your performance uh, in the Pure Tournament. What does that mean to you? I mean, what is your reaction to the fact that, uh, you know, you've gotten over with the ROH fans and they have, we're, we're at a point now where we're basically, we're, you know, we're saying to the fans, we want to hear what you want. Tell us what you want. And they're saying, we want more of Tony Deppin. Well, it, it does mean a lot because as somebody who I'm still an independent wrestling fan and I grew up watching ring of honor. So like I was in their shoes and for them to sit there and say that they want me to come back into a company that like I grew up watching means a lot to me. Like, and I know it, you beat a dead horse with it when you're constantly like try to thank the fans enough, but like it truly means a lot to me because I don't feel like I would have been asked back if it weren't for the fans on the internet. Like I'm very thankful that I have a good online presence so it kind of helped a lot. And, like, they just – they saw the performance and then they just ran with it. And then, um, like, because they started – like, all these people I know started a um, hashtag sign Tony Deppin. So th- my fans started it. And then the Ring of Honor fans that watched it, they're just they kind of like, oh, yeah, you know what? That sounds good. Like, let's do that. So everybody kind of jumped on board because they saw it and it kind of made sense to them. Well, you mentioned that you were a Ring of Honor fan when you were younger. I mean, what, what era, like, if, like what year or so are we talking about when you first got into Ring of Honor? Oh, five. Okay. So, so yeah, definitely the early days. Yeah. Um, so, back then, how old were you around that time? 17. Okay. I'm older, I'm older than I look. I'm going to be 33. So, I wasn't some, like, three-year-old going to Ring of Honor shows. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to just gauge, like, how, how young were you? Because I guess when people first become wrestling fans, it's it's usually not Ring of Honor, you know, the first thing that they see. Uh, oh, I've been a wrestling fan since 1992. My dad used to take me to the WWF events when they'd run high schools. It's just when I discovered Ring of Honor stuff, I was fizzling out of wrestling because I wasn't uh, too involved into the current product of uh tv wrestling and wcw just was out of business and then i found like czw iwa and then like obviously like iwa czw and ring of honor were the big threes back in the early 2000s so i like once you go to one you kind of you're going to slowly gravitate towards all of them and i gravitated more towards czw first because i loved the deathmatch aspect because it was so interesting to me and then i just slowly really learned to love like just wrestling. I still love deathmatch wrestling, but like I just love watching wrestling in itself in its purest form. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up because I was uh, going to ask you about that. Is uh, you're in the pure tournament, and obviously you are a great technical wrestler, but I, I know that you've also done a lot of the crazy stuff, the death matches and so forth. Um, is do you have? a preference I guess maybe you just answered that question about really liking the pure aspect of it but uh what approach do you take when you do I mean some of these death matches get pretty crazy uh has I imagine has to take a certain mentality to even participate in one of these things so I mean what are what are your thoughts when you're approaching when you know you have a death match like what do you go into it thinking 
I haven't done too many death matches. I've done a lot of hardcore matches. Like I've used pretty much everything minus like I've used light tubes, but not like on a regular basis, but I've done doors, chairs, tacks and stuff like that. And yeah, honestly, I don't even think of anything about it. Like if the, if the idea is pitched and I feel safe with it, with the person I'm doing, yeah, I'm not even going to think twice of it. But if somebody that I don't know and they're like, Hey, let's do this. I'll like, yeah, let's not because <laughs> they, I have to think about myself, my wife and my son at home when it comes to doing something stupid like that. Like, I, like just in like, even like the simplest things on dives anymore. Like obviously a lot of people, they watch the pure title and, and even uh, Caprice and Ian talk about my dive and how like I'm, I look like Sonic and stuff like that. I don't do that to everybody because back in March, literally a week before the pandemic started, I went to do it like I normally do. And the person pretty much, they didn't even bother. They, they seem like they're more concerned about catching coronavirus to me because I got dropped right on my head and got knocked out and split my head open. Oof. So like ever since like that time, I was just like, okay, like let me be a little more cautious on who I even dive on, let alone take a light tube. I've taken a light tube from PCO we had a match back in GCW and he just like, we we said about it and he's just like, okay. And I was like, Pierre, I was like, hit me like on the corner of my head. I was like, like the, like the bridge. So like, you know, you don't hit my entire head with the light tube. He did the opposite of that and just wobbled, wobbled my head and I was picking glass out of my head on a plane. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> but I love PCO. So I, there's no, no ill feelings towards PCO about that. I love him to death. Yeah. Yeah, you can't be mad at PCO. He's just exactly sweetheart of a guy. Um well you know, you mentioned how you have to take these precautions not and, and be safe, not just for yourself, but because yeah, you're a guy that has a wife, you have a you have a child now. I, I'm just curious, what does your wife think of, of the death matches? Oh man, and she the loves she loves them. When we first got together, she absolutely hated them. I would have it on TV and she's like, this is disgusting. Why would you watch this? And now she's just like, yo, let's watch some deathmatch wrestling. She's been to live shows. The one time I did a no ring deathmatch show uh, in Brooklyn and she was there watching and she loved it. Wow. I don't know. Sometimes, yeah, I I cringe sometimes. Like I'm not a huge, you know, just personal preference. I'm not a huge fan uh, of it, but uh, I can't imagine if it was my loved one who was in there. Uh, doing that kind of stuff that that would I think that would be hard to watch for me yeah she, she understand like I let her if I'm gonna do anything stupid I always let her know just because I know she worries right so like if I have something I'm gonna think about like hey I'm gonna do this just so you know so don't get worried but like in November a week before the baby was born actually I did a a GCW show it was uh Alex Zane's last match before he went off to WWE and he does a, a, a shooting star press double knees to the back of the head. And he's done it a million times. I go, hey, just be cautious with my head, man. I don't get knocked out. He's like, oh, I'll be fine with you. And for some odd reason, his, uh, his shins just hit me so hard in the back of the head, he busted me open. And, like, I was just pouring blood out of the back of my head. Thankfully, it was, like, legit the, the last thing in the match. And I could see my wife, like, just, like, look panic. I just look at her and I just, like, gave her a nod just to make sure she knew. Right. That I wasn't dying. I just I got my head busted open, and any need stitches or anything like that. But you know, kind of happens. 
Yeah, I guess, you know, I always go back to that scene in uh, Beyond the Mat, which I'm sure you're probably familiar with, with, uh, yeah. you know, after Mick Foley did the, the I Quit match uh, with The Rock at the Royal Rumble back in uh, 2000, I guess it was, um, you know, and his family coming back afterwards as he's getting stitched up with this, you know, this huge, I don't mean, not even, I mean, this huge gash, you know, in his, in his skull. And I just remember his, his kids were really young at that time. And he's just like, yeah, daddy's got a boo-boo. <laughs> you know, it's just, just imagine, you know, what it's like when the wife and kids. Let me ask you about when the opportunity came for you to be in the Pure Title Tournament. I know you were supposed to be in the original one, uh, Pure Excellence, which was uh, supposed to take place back in April. What was your reaction when Ring of Honor reached out to you to participate in this? Well, um, originally... I had a little birdie in my ear and he was telling me around December, he's like, Hey, Tony, has anybody hit you up from ring of honor? I was like, no, why? I was like, Oh, well, your name has been thrown around. I was like, Oh, that's cool. And in the wrestling world, I never take anything serious like that. Like it's all, you take it with a grain of salt when somebody says, Oh, a promotion's looking at you or something like that. You're like, yeah, whatever. I'll believe it when I hear it. So things kept just coming going by. And then like, I was sitting on my couch in one day in like February, something like that. And I just see like, a message from like and i saw like just as ring of honor and i was just like oh man i was like this is awesome like i just i got really excited because i remember when i quit my job to uh wrestle full-time like a year and a half almost two years ago i wanted to be in ring of honor like i wasn't running for the other companies that were that are, that are signing people left and right like because i don't feel like that they fit my style or the way that i want to perceive wrestling so like I've always been gunning for ring of honor and the fact that I finally got a, a, like a email from them about that, it got me really excited for the future. And then obviously the pandemic happened and just kind of like tanked that real quick. So like I legit thought, okay, you know, my, my shot's blown. Like I'm, I'm never going to get asked back. And then uh, Delirious reached out to me later on down the road. He's like, are you still interested in that? And I was just like, absolutely. So. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you still interested in that? You're like, nah, nah. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm good. Pandemic just got me. Didn't, didn't make me want to do it anymore. Right. All right. We're going to actually take our first break here. And then when we come back, we're going to talk more about the pure title tournament and uh, all other kinds of stuff with Tony Deppin right after this. Experience the show that's thrilling critics and fans. ROH TV. The reviews are in. It's completely different than anything in pro wrestling. I enjoyed every minute of this show. ROH TV delivers. Valiant Saint Raves. Take my money. This was awesome. Join the ROH stars for the hashtag WatchROH Watch Party every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Tony Deppen. Right before the break, we were talking about the Pure Title Tournament. Uh, Tony, you worked with uh, a veteran, uh, a guy who's actually a good friend of mine, PJ Black. What was that experience like, getting in the ring with a guy like uh, PJ, who's obviously been doing this for so long, even though he's not that old of a guy, but he started very, very young, uh, wrestled all over the world. Uh, so not only are you in the pure title tournament, but you're working with a guy like TJ. What was that experience like for you? That was really cool to me because uh, 
I was I I watched him on T like when he was in NXT like uh, WWE whatever I don't know what affiliation he was in, but it was really cool to that I got to watch him, and then years down the road like I get to wrestle him and then I get to wrestle him at Ring of Honor like I just I I couldn't paint a picture better than that like I, I had a lot of fun with it too it's just and like really great guy like I I've never met him prior to that. And I've never heard anybody talk about him like in any way, shape or form. So I was like, I was going in like blindfolded, like how he's going to approach things or how he's going to approach talking to me. And we just clicked really well when it came to the wrestling part. And even when the fans were saying on Twitter to, to sign me, he actually joined along. He's like, yeah, you guys should sign Tony Deppin. Yeah. Did he, did he talk to you about the th- opening your third eye and uh, all the different uh, new age things he likes to uh, talk about? No, not really because with I it was probably because of the fact that uh covid restrictions even when we're at the building we can't uh take our masks off and we legit we wrestle and then we go straight to the back with our mask on still and then Ian's like hey can you guys get out we got to get ready for the next match and de- like disinfect this entire room stuff like that so it was kind of like an in and out process i had maybe like prior like outside of like communicating about the match maybe we had a solid like five, 10 minutes of just leisure time. Okay. You mentioned uh, earlier that you, you really like uh, technical wrestling, the pure aspect of wrestling. As far as a presentation uh, aspect of it, you know, we've seen, and again, I, like we've talked about it on this show before and we don't, uh, not criticizing any other companies or anything like that, but during the pandemic, people have had to try different things, uh, whether it's, you know, smaller crowds or piping in crowd noise or virtual fans. Uh, ROH made the decision and it worked perfectly, I think, with the pure tournament to, uh, man, just strip it down as much as you can and um, empty arenas and, you know, no fake noise or anything like that from just, you know, I'm asking you maybe as a wrestling fan, uh, what was it like for you as far as, uh, as the presentation of it? Uh, I love the presentation. Um, and being still being a wrestling fan, I still watch every program. So I know what it's like watching every single program, what they're doing, simulated noise, what they're doing, small amount of fans or not. And I just loved that there's nothing. And you could just hear Caprice and Ian in the background. That was pretty much it. You could hear the struggle with the wrestlers between every move, every, every sequence. And it just made it literally stripped it down and made wrestling the purest form. And, that was what I loved about it. Like I, I watched all the, the shows on TV when they were airing because like one, I didn't watch any of the matches. I didn't even know who won the belt until I watched the show. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. No spoilers for you. No, I wanted to be surprised. Like, cause some, like they, like if, uh, if you drove down there, which there are a few of us that did, cause I live close by. They're like, Hey, you guys can stay and like, but just be like, super distance up in the bleachers and there's some you're like stayed and they're like oh, are you gonna stay it's like no nah, i'm gonna watch on tv they're like well you can just watch in here it's like i want to be surprised i want to view in the tv i want to like watch with the fans and just be surprised like the fans because i am at the end of the day i am a wrestling fan yeah it's funny i'm the same way like i never wanted to see uh, i never wanted to know spoilers i've never understood that that whole thing of people wanting spoilers like if you know you know smackdown's taped on tuesday and isn't going to air till friday but you got to find out what happened 
It's always like, yeah. I've always thought like, I mean, you wouldn't want to know the end of ending of a movie or a TV show before it came on. Why do you want to know what happened on the wrestling show? I've always found that to be bizarre. Exactly. And like, uh, with the match that just aired last night, the Dragon Lee Ray Horse match, uh, I, I went up in the stands real quick because I wanted to, I was going to say goodbye to somebody and I caught like a quick glimpse of it. And I was like, oh man, this match looks awesome. I can't wait to watch it on TV. And I legit, I walked away so I couldn't, so I didn't uh, ruin it for myself. And I watched it last night. It was awesome. Yep. You mentioned though, when you're in the ring, uh, because there is no, uh, no noise being pumped in that you can hear Ian and Caprice doing commentary. Have you ever been in a situation like that before where you can actually hear the announcers? And I, I guess the second part of that question is, does that, uh, is that a distraction at all when you can hear them calling the match that you're actually in? No, because to me, it's almost like uh, Charlie Brown's teacher. I just hear womp, womp, womp. I don't hear like the actual thing. I have had somebody do something like that. It was, I wouldn't even call it commentary. It was uh, like, I'm, I've struggled through the independent wrestling circuit and I've wrestled the worst of the worst places. And there is a place this guy was on a microphone. He wasn't a commentary or he was trying to commentate, but he was over the microphone, just making fun of everything we did. Like, and this guy was not a, like he, he was, if he was a wrestler, he wasn't very good. He wasn't properly trained and he was just making fun of everything and anything. So I got in the back and he's like, and he's like, Oh man, a lot of stuff you did was great out there. I was like, yeah, I couldn't tell by the way you're burying me the entire time. And he's like, Oh, I was just kidding. I was like, you do it again. I'm going to smack the shit out of you. I was like, I was like, you don't do that to people. I was like, that's disrespectful. And he was just like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like, so I, I got a little bit of a, uh, uh, reputation when I was in the Indies to be a hothead with stuff like that, because I, I don't like when people disrespect things like that. Like, that's just rude to me. Well, I mean, I don't blame you. You don't have to be a hothead. I don't think for that, like that goes oh, yeah, beyond this disrespect, people, I would say. But most people just kind of sat there and like laughed, like took, took it for whatever it is. And I'm just like, no, I'm not taking this. Like I take wrestling serious. Like you're not going to do that to me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd 100% be on board uh, with, with your attitude on that. Uh, let me talk about a couple other guys. I did some research and I saw that um, you'd been in the ring with a few other guys, prominent guys that are in uh, Ring of Honor. You mentioned PCO. That was one. But you've also wrestled, wrestled uh, Jonathan Gresham, Tracy Williams, uh, Alex Shelley, two of those three guys, obviously Gresham and, uh, and Tracy in the Pure Tournament, in the finals, Gresham the overall winner. Uh, what was it like for you to, again, you, you being a fan of that style of wrestling, and to uh, get in there and work with uh, guys like that. Well, John's been one of my favorite wrestlers for many years now. And uh, GCW booked him on a show to, for me to wrestle him, which was the coolest thing about it. Uh, it was actually on my birthday. I got to wrestle him. And that was not by coincidence. Brett just randomly booked it. I was like, oh, is that my birthday gift? He's like, what are you talking? I was like, that's my birthday. <laughs> I was like, so. And so, like, that was really cool to work with him. And, and John's just brilliant at what he does he's a mastermind like I, I could not speak highly enough of John because you know I think the world of him. he's always been one of my favorite wrestlers for many years and he still is and working with Tracy I've worked with Tracy three three times now I think twice in a singles once in a a uh, tag match and that first singles match I've never gotten the shit kicked out of me so badly Man, he just – he whooped me, but it was a lot like, – like, it was in a small town of Pennsylvania, and these people, they're not 
really wrestling fans. There's like, you got your, you got a few sprinkled in here. There, most of them are just like, they're there for entertainment. But we had, in my opinion, a really good match. And with him whooping me the way he did and went back and forth, like, at the end of the match, all the fans stood up and started clapping, gave us a standing ovation. And that's never been done in the area because, like I said, they're not wrestling fans. And then the second time we wrestled, he showed up 15 minutes before the match because traffic. And we had, I thought, a fantastic match. So let me ask you this. When you, when you have a match like that, like you mentioned with Tracy, uh, well, let me ask you, do you prefer working stiff or snug or whatever word you're, you know, we're going to use to describe it? Uh, do you like that kind of style? And, and my second question or part of the question is, uh, do you guys just do you know going ahead of time? Like you guys say, hey, man, I'm really going to lay it in. You lay it in. Let's go out there and do it. Uh, or is it just something out there where you're feeling it and you just start doing it? Um, it depends who I'm wrestling when it comes to do I like getting sn- hit and snug. Like I know a few people in the Indies, like, and they're like, I'm so stiff. And then I'm watching them wrestle. I'm just like, you're unsafe. There's a difference. Yeah. And then they'll be like, well, you do, I'll do this. And, I, like, and I'm like, because I, I, like every wrestler, we should be cautious with our heads when it comes to taking strikes because you don't get a concussion. So, like, I'll, like, I'll lay out the law to, to kids that I'm wrestling that are new, or I'll be like, listen, if you hit me ridiculously unsafe in my head, it's like, we're going to have a problem. It's like, so make sure you're, you're safe with everything you do. And they're all, like, like, I've heard horror stories of wrestling certain people, and I go and I wrestle that person, and I say the same thing, and they're extremely safe with me. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just me saying that to them, and it makes them think, like, okay, let me be more cautious of where I'm striking people. Yeah. And when it comes to, like, so, like, I don't mind. I don't mind being stiff. It doesn't bother me. Like, sometimes, like, I feel like I'm a little too late. Like, I wrestled too cold Scorpio, and he, he wasn't pummel me, but he was, you know, a little snug. And then, and I was throwing the way I normally was like, oh, you need to be a little more snug. I was like, well, dude, you're like 60. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to hit you. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I, I feel like I'm beating up my wife's grandfather. Right. <laughs> and then when it comes to, like, knowing if somebody is stiff, like, I didn't know Tracy was stiff. I just found out <laughs> and it wasn't enjoyable because I wasn't expecting that. And he just, like I said, but it, like he, I understand why he did it. He wanted, he got a lot of fire out of me in the match. And I like that. Like there's a lot of energy and emotion coming out because like it was legit. Like he was right. super safe with it. Like not, there wasn't a single time where I'm like, wow, like, dude, you're going to hurt me. I was just like, wow, that's a little snug, man. Like, but it, it legit got, the energy out of me that he wanted. And so I, I could never hold against him. I like to break his balls about it all the time though. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you made the, the way you said it is perfect is, is there's a big difference between working stiff or snug and being unsafe. Two totally different things. Well, isn't one of the sayings like hit hard in safe places. Yeah. And it's just like, and my thing is we're not UFC. <laughs> like if right? you want to, if you, you want to hit people and try to knock them out, get out of wrestling go to to ufc please right that's that's the art form of pro wrestling that's supposed to look like that but not really be that it's called a work for a reason (laughs) exactly uh let's talk about final battle so um you know this is is roh's show of the year um every year not just in a year where we only hold a few shows because of a pandemic uh you come back uh for a four-way and it's, uh, it's you, Dak Draper, Josh Woods, LSG. Winner of the match gets a shot at 
uh, the ROH World Television Champion, Dragon Lee, uh, that same night. Now, people look at this match and see this four-way. There's three guys that are under contract to Ring of Honor, and there's you. So uh, as an educated fan, they're probably saying, okay, well, I know who's not winning this match. Which of these three are going to get the shot? But you're the guy that went over. When did you find out that that was going to be the result? Well, like the fans, I looked at it and thought the same thing. I was just like, I'm the only guy that's not under contract. Like, I'm not winning. The only way I'm winning is if everybody gets COVID and I'm the only replacement there. <laughs> so, like, I kind of assumed, uh, you know, I was going to be one and done. It's like, whatever. I, I got my opportunity, so whatever. But uh, then, like, before we come down here, we always get an itinerary of, like, when we have to be here, when we have to be there, when we, like, match one, match two, blah, blah, blah. And my itinerary said three matches. I was like, wait a minute. It's like, three <laughs> matches? I was like, what are you talking about? And then uh, I was informed, like, oh, you're actually up tonight. And then after sitting back and thinking, I was like, wow, it actually makes a lot of sense because, um, like, I had, like I said, I have a good following on the internet. They, and they don't necessarily follow Ring of Honor. They just follow the other indies. And the, my, the, uh, the first four-way was, it was free online. So everybody was going to watch it to, you know, all my fans are going to watch it to watch me wrestle and then make the decision that they want to buy it. They saw that I won and they're like, oh man, now I want to see Tony wrestle Dragon Lee. So let me buy this. Like, and like, say if like I stopped going to Ring of Honor right after that show, like uh, Dak can still wrestle Dragon, LSG can still wrestle Dragon, Josh Woods can still wrestle Dragon. So like, it could have been a chance. Like, this is the only time you get to see this match. You don't, you you wouldn't know because people are being scooped up left and right after everything. Yep. So obviously, though, it is you who gets that shot against Dragon Lee. So now uh, you get to work with, in my opinion, Matt, one of the best uh, all around performers in the business um, I, I challenge anyone I mean I've never seen a bad Dragon Lee match uh, so what was it like getting in there with him nerve-wracking that's for sure like I've you know I've been to Japan and I've like, you know, I wrestled there I, I've wrestled like the great Sasuke Masada Tanaka uh, I've wrestled PWG with some of the best wrestlers but for some odd reason I could not shake the nerves of wrestling Dragon Lee because I was like this guy is a world-class athlete like I was like, I'm like, I just sat, like, I just like, I sit back in my room with like, and just think of everything that's going on. It's like, okay, like I got to be perfect with this. I had to make sure everything is crisp as possible. And he was really nervous because that was his first match in 10 months. Yeah. So he was worried about his conditioning or maybe like his footwork and like, he didn't want to hurt me in any way, shape or form. So, but like, and everything went off. It couldn't gone better for me. And he, like we got in the back, he's just like, we're going to have to do this again one day. I was like, hell yeah. Yeah, I think that was the reaction from a lot of people. I think, uh, you know, that match was, uh, was universally praised and, uh, and, and with good reason. And I think, yeah, man, once is not enough for that one. That, that's one I think we definitely want to see again somewhere down the line. Um, let me ask you just from that standpoint, uh, getting in the ring, not, you know, let's take out the fact that he's, he's Dragon Lee. Uh, and he's a world-class performer, just getting in the ring with somebody like that for the first time. Um, is that nerve-wracking in and of itself, getting in there with someone you've never worked before? And it, this is not, 
you know, this is not a small indie show. You know, this is a, this is a match that's going to be seen by a lot of people. It, it normally is, like, lang- especially language barrier. Like, that's yeah. always the thing. Thankfully, a lot of wrestling terms are universal. And, uh, like, as a fan, uh, I, I study the terminology for wrestling, even stuff in Mexico. So, like, I could tell you stuff in, in Spanish, stuff like that, just because I, I've watched so much wrestling. But, like, stepping in the ring with anybody new is a, a bit of a pain, especially if you don't know them, because some people are extremely – they're big pain in the ass to uh, plan a match with. Like it's, it's uh, some people just don't have any interest planning matches with certain people. Like I've had that taken up in before and it's, it's the worst thing ever. So I was like, Oh man, I hope he's cool. Like I, I hope he's like open to ideas. So like I messaged my friend, Jake Atlas, who wrestled Dragon Lee at PWG. And I was like, is he, you know, is he cool? Like to like work with and like open things he's like, Oh yeah, you'll be fine. Tony. He's great. He's like, now I also called my entire match in Spanish. I was like, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the language barrier, that, you know, I wasn't even thinking of that. But, yeah, that's a whole other thing uh, on top of it. So, yeah, a lot of things going on uh, in that match. But, again, it got over. I mean, it was a great match, uh, which shouldn't be surprising considering, you know, two very talented guys in there. And, and I thought it really, you know – Dragon Lee was going to retain the title, but I think it was one of those circumstances or situations where you looked great in defeat. And, and I, it seems like he was very uh, giving uh, as well as far as making sure that, yeah, he knows he's going over, but the point is Tony Deppen's going to come out of this looking good too. Yeah, he – like I said, I couldn't speak enough good things about him. And, like, the only complaint I saw about that match, you were like, oh, it was only 11 minutes. Well, we were given 12 minutes. What the hell do you want? Like, <laughs> we almost hit it on the dot. Like, I think it was, like, uh, when I looked at the, the match, it was, like, 11.42 or something like that. Like, people are, like, so desensitized to short matches now that, like, if you yeah. go short, they, they don't think you can have a good match in 10 minutes. So, like, no, everything has to be 20 minutes to be a really good match. But that's yeah, not or longer. Case. Yeah, or longer. It's, it's almost sometimes – and there are a lot of great matches that are longer, but longer doesn't always mean great. You know, yeah. sometimes a match can overstay its welcome. And, yeah, I get it. I mean, it's almost a compliment when people say, oh, man, it was only 11 minutes long. That means they just wanted to see more of it. But, yeah, you do you, – you make the most of the time that you're given. And, uh, and well, I think that's, that's what gets them to come back when you, uh, give, when you give them just enough to, to feed their hunger, but they're still hungry. Like, I need more of that. Like, you gave them enough. Then, then you come back. Then you go crazier next time. Always leave them wanting more. That's what they yeah, all like. That's that's one thing I've always taken back from, uh, like working the small indie companies for so long. Like where there'd be ten people in the crowd, like you just leave them wanting more to make them come back. Because if you give them everything at once, you're not gonna get them back. Hundred percent. And you know that's a perfect segue because uh, we're gonna leave the uh, the listeners of this podcast wanting more. That's why we're going to take a break right here, our second break, and we'll come back with more with Tony Deppen. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ringofhonor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Tony Deppen. Uh, Tony, we've talked a lot uh, to this point about your, uh, your wrestling career. I want to ask you a little bit, uh, just some personal information. 
you're from Shimokin, Pennsylvania. Now, yes, not, that I'm is not, correct. I'm not very familiar uh, with Shimokin. Uh, what was it like growing up there? Okay, well, Shimokin is a uh, coal region town in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, population of about, when I was at the time, I think about 6,000 people. Uh, extremely poor. Most houses you could buy for about $18,000 <laughs> still to this day. No jobs. So my entire childhood was skateboarding or my friends and I would uh, book a local venue and just have uh, punk rock shows or we backyard wrestle, whatever. Like those are the only, like, I, like my areas ran, ran rampant by drugs and alcohol and I, I don't do drugs and I didn't even start drinking until I was like 24. So like that wasn't appealing to my friends and I, we just, we would wrestle and then we'd uh, put on shows all the time or we'd be skateboarding. Like that's all we wanted to do. Well, so like, yeah, that's like, there's like legit, there's legit nothing like Ian, like everybody hears Ian say about the cold coffee thing on a, on when uh, I'm wrestling the story behind that uh, is one reason you'll be like, wow, there's nothing to do in that area. So our local Dunkin' Donuts burnt down. And that Dunkin' Donuts is packed every day by like a mile. We have nothing to do. And that place burnt down and people were throwing like hysteric fits because they had no idea where to get their coffee from. <laughs> and some, some guys like, well, I actually go meet my attorney there uh, for my legal work and stuff like that. It's just a, it was actually on Tosh.0 as a uh, whole of the week because of it. So, <laughs> Well, I grew up, uh, like I said, in Baltimore. I grew up in a place, no one's going to know about, have ever heard of this, but a place called Dundalk, which was very, um, maybe not as uh, quite like Shimokin, but it was very blue collar, you know, steel workers, uh, stuff like that. So I kind of understand, you know, we had been called locally, uh, as far as Baltimore suburbs were concerned, we were pretty much called a hole as well. So I can sort of identify with that. Um, growing up there, I mean, was, was the, was the goal always like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Easily. Like my wife and I were from the same town and like, if you graduate college, the only reason you're getting a job out there is if you're, if you're a nurse or a doctor, they, there's just medical, there's just a, there's a hospital and that's where everybody's employed or they're employed at the factories. So my wife and I knew like, if, if we wanted to do anything in life that didn't involve like just slaving away at a factory for no money, like we need to get out. So we both graduated college in 2015 and we moved down towards the Harrisburg area and that's where we're currently located. You mentioned being in, uh, I guess, kind of the skateboarding and uh, the punk rock scene. Uh, now, were you in a band? Did you have a punk rock band or were you just a fan of the music in general? Yeah, I had my, my friends and I, we, we were in about two bands, like, it'd be like the same group of people, somebody, because there weren't a lot of us. So like I was in two bands with my friends. And what did, uh, what did you do in the band? Uh, I played bass. Like I, I wasn't talented enough for drums. I could, I could skate by on a, uh, a guitar, but I can't really do much on drums at all. Okay. Gotcha. Now you mentioned back then that you weren't, uh, when you were young, you weren't uh, obviously into drugs, you weren't drinking. You didn't drink till much later. Were you, was straight edge, was that a thing back then that you were into or, or, or no? Cause I know that was big in the, that came out of the punk rock scene. See, the thing is like, uh, when I was, I didn't do it, but I never identified of it. Like 
a lot of the bands I listened to, like Youth of Today, uh, Minor Threat, and all that, like they identified as straight edge. Right. But it's not like I was like, because like it. I think I was just trying to be like really cool or something like that because like it became a term that everybody knew in my school that like even if like they weren't into it and I remember this one kid like I defined him as like a jock kid he came to like oh so you're straight edge I was like uh no dude like I'm, I just don't drink or do drugs there's a difference he's just like okay whatever like so I just I just didn't want to identify it just because too many people knew about it when I was like I, I was like, why, why do you guys know about this? Like, this is supposed to be my culture. Leave us alone. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, it's like when it was cool to be on Facebook and then your parents get on it and uh, they're yeah, not that, cool anymore. Yeah. Like I, and now I'm, I'm a lot more open to people being like included into scenes that I grew up with. Like I used to be extremely like gatekeeping, I guess, when I was like 15 about all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely something to that. Whether it's uh music or whatever it is you want to feel like you're the only like this is a cool club to be in and then if it gets uh really popular it's like man now now all these people are into it and i was i was there from day one so yeah, yeah pretty I much definitely get that uh you mentioned uh backyard wrestling and, and that was one of the things i was uh definitely going to ask you about is you know there used to be that commercial of uh you know don't try this at home uh but you did you tried this at home uh, you were a, a, a backyard wrestler Tell me about that, because from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think some, there's, there's, like with anything, there's different levels of backyard wrestling. I mean, you have literally a couple of guys getting together and, you know, have no business doing anything and, and you know, calling it a backyard wrestling show. Then you have guys who are, you know, there have been some talented people to come out of the backyard wrestling scene. So what was your experience? We were the ones that were talented. Yeah. <laughs> See, That's what uh, I thought. We, uh, I th it was 2004, like the back end of 2004. Uh, I went up to watch my friend backyard wrestle and his friend that was supposed to wrestle him bailed. So he's like, oh, do you want to wrestle me? I was like, yeah, I don't have no idea what it is. And uh, the guys that were running the backyard company, they're just like, hey, uh, if you do want to wrestle with us, you have to come up and like, and they were trained, like they, they went to independent some independent wrestling school and got trained. Then they realized they hated it, like being on the Indies. So they just went to backyard wrestling. Like, Hey, uh, you have to come up and train with us to make sure you're not going to hurt anybody. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And like, we had a ring and everything. Like I've been wrestling in a ring since 2004. And that was when I was backyard wrestling. Like obviously we had our times where we used light tubes and stuff like that, but it wasn't what you'd see on like the, the early, the, the late nineties backyard wrestling. It was very different. And a lot of the, through the years of me backyard wrestling is I've actually gained a lot of friends in the independent scene just be right now because of that. Like a lot of those guys were backyarding with us. Cause like there's an entire network uh, website back when we actually see these websites that weren't Facebook and we would uh, communicate, we'd show, we'd share each other's media. We'd actually hold shows that like we'd call them super shows and people would travel from all over. We had somebody from Australia come down to a couple shows and guys from Canada all the time. And some of them are prominent guys on the Indies now. Absolutely. Wow. That's amazing. The people from as far as Australia came. Yeah. I, I remember I was at PWG uh, for battle Los Angeles last year. And the one kid came up to me. He's like, Tony, do you know who I am? I was just like, and he was one of the Aussie boys. He was over there with Rick, uh, Mick Moretti. And I was just like, I was like, wait a minute. I think I know you. And he's just like, yeah. He's like, and he's like, 
back in like 2006, we used to uh, talk online all the time. I was the one, the one kid from HWA, or I think that's what it was, which is a backyard company in uh, Australia. And people know him, like Will Ospreay was in our back, like he was part of the backyard click as well. Like everyone knows him through that. Yeah. Well, okay, so we've established that there's different levels of backyard wrestling. I think still when, when some people hear that term, they maybe have a different idea in their heads, a preconceived notion of, of what it is. Let me ask you this. When you started uh, on the indies, uh, was there any kind of stigma attached to it? If anyone knew your background, like, yeah, I had come from backyard wrestling, was there a stigma to that? Oh, yeah, that was extremely tabooed um, that we didn't talk about it. Now I don't care. Right. Like, when I first started, like, I, like, I remember I'd still go to backyard shows to hang out with my friends. And we'd always do like group photos, like at when all the people were there. And they're like, Tony, come in the photo. I was like, uh, no, I can't. Like, oh, Mr. Big Indy wrestler. I was like, bro, like I, I wrestle in front of 10 people. Like, I just don't want to, like, I just want to wrestle. Like, calm down. So like, and then over time, like, obviously I started getting more exposure to the point where I was like, well, what are you going to do to me if I, if I tell people my backyard? Like, I share my backyard wrestling clips all the time. I don't care. Like, you're not going to. You're gonna hate, you're gonna hate me for doing something that I did when I was 16, 17 years old. Like, get over yourself. Right. How old were you when you decided? And, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. It was wrestling almost like, um, like you said, there wasn't a lot to do in in Shimokin. So, you know, wrestling was something that you did, almost a hobby. And if if it wasn't that, you know, I guess I correct me. Uh, but when did you decide, like, okay? this is more than something I do for fun or a hobby. Like this is something I think I could actually pursue and, and maybe make a living at. Well, uh, first of all, I never thought I was gonna make a living off this. Like I am a realist. I realize that I'm not the biggest person. Uh, the genes skipped me on cause my dad's six, six and I'm like five, nine. So I got the shit out of the stick. <laughs> so I never thought I was gonna make money ever. Like I legit, the only reason I started doing independent wrestling and got trained is because all my backyard friends, they started getting trained and going to the Indies and I still wanted to wrestle. Like that was the only reason, like I didn't care about anything else. So I was just like, Oh, well, you know, might as well go get, I went to this half-ass school in a place called Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania, which the guy wasn't trained, but he gave me access to a ring and I already knew the basics from my friends and then i started just taking a lot of seminars so if you would put it in layman's terms i was not really trained properly like i just learned as i went and i took a lot of seminars and like i would ask questions from anybody i could and just kept learning from there and honestly it just all kept snowballing its way into what it is now it took me 12 years to get to this point and I never, I, I literally never thought I'd be at this point. I thought I'd do like maybe wrestle CCW or IWA Mid-South once. And that would be like the peak of my wrestling. And now I've done all of that. And it's like, okay, what's, what's left? And now this is, this is it. Yeah, I think that, that might be eye-opening for some people uh, listening to this who maybe aren't super familiar with what you've done. And, and it's kind of a new name on the scene. And uh yeah, I think that you make a great point that, you know, you're not exactly an overnight success. You've been doing this for a long time and, uh, and had to grind and, and uh, you know, really work your way to get to this point. What, was there a moment where you said, uh, you know, I, I either have to make a real serious run at this or, or, you know, maybe I don't want to even 
do it anymore and I'm getting a little bit older and I, you know, quote unquote, get a, get a real job or I don't know, maybe you had a real job. Oh, I did. I did. I yeah. see the thing, what happened was it's like when I graduated college, uh, I was just like, okay, like I might as well stop wrestling. Like I'm not rest. I'm wrestling maybe like twice a month. Like I was wrestling the, like in front of like 15, 20 people. Maybe sometimes I'd wrestle in front of hundred, which was like a big deal to us back in the day. And I wasn't getting paid. Like I literally didn't make any money until like seven, eight years into wrestling. It's ridiculous. But um, my wife, uh, I was telling her, like, I'm going to stop wrestling. And she's like, why? I was like, nothing's happening with it. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm never going to do anything with it. And she's like, can you just wrestle for, like, maybe another year? She's like, I, I really enjoy watching you wrestle. I was like, okay, whatever, I'll do it. So um, I continued to wrestle for a year. And within that, like, three, four-month span, like, I was – I went to a wrestling show as a fan – and my friend saw a promoter by the name of uh, Loudy, and he ran a place in Williamstown, New Jersey called On Point Wrestling. And they, they pretty much did a lot of funneling with the wrestlers into CZW. And my friend's like, hey, Loudy, this guy's a wrestler. And Loudy, Loudy partnered with Matt Tremont all the time. So, like, they were, like, Bert and Ernie. Like, they, they were always together, and they, they did everything together. And they're like, oh, well, send us your stuff. I was like, yeah, whatever. You know how many times I've heard that crap? <laughs> so like i just i pretty much no sold it and then he messaged me he's like hey you're gonna send me that stuff so i did he asked me to do a show and then all of a sudden like uh joey janello was on that show and he just joey put me over like crazy after that match and then everything just started climbing like i started going to to c4 in canada all the time i started you know traveling a little bit more and more and then just started snowballing to the point where like i was wrestling like Thursday because I used to work a job where I'd work Monday through Thursday and Thursday night I'd be wrestling Friday I'd be wrestling Saturday I'd be wrestling Sunday I'd, I'd wrestle and I'd come home from like Texas at like four in the morning and I had to work at 5 30 in the morning so wow. I legit get a shower and go to work and if they found out I was doing that I would get fired because I was driving a truck <laughs> but I can I can I don't sleep anyways like I don't mind not sleeping it didn't bother me but like they, they found out they would have fired me and they got to the point, like, it was just stressing me out, just constantly bouncing back and forth like that, like, taking time off. And my wife's just like, well, just quit. And I was like, uh, are you serious? Because I was making enough, I was making more money wrestling than I was at my job. So she's like, yeah, just quit. And I, so I just decided to quit and everything just kind of kept going forward. And then, you know, COVID happened. What, about what year was this when, when your wife said, hey, just do it for one more year? Uh, 2015, 16, maybe. Okay. Wow. And yeah, that's so things started taking off pretty quickly yeah. after that because yeah, Tony Deppen became, uh, one of the, one of the hot names on, on the indie scene. It, it, it's, I like, I owe everything to her and I still owe everything to her because the fact that she allows me to do this, like I had to leave her for an entire week. Like, and I, and I, uh, I finished ring of honor here Thursday and I go home for less than a day and I go to Texas the next day. Wow. So like, and then there were times when I was running on the Indies that like I would be away for two weeks sometimes. Cause I'd be like, well, like I'm over on this area, but I had to come back here in like two days anyways. And I was like, do you mind if I just stay out here with some friends? And she's like, no, just you got to do what you got to do. And then I was in uh, Japan for two and a half, three weeks and she dealt with it. And you know, that's awesome. When you, when you can have uh, the support, of, of your family, of your wife. I mean, 
to pursue your dream and doesn't get any better than that. That's, that's, that's yeah. a way to, yeah, go ahead. And this isn't me just saying when, uh, like when stuff comes up and I'm like, you're going to have to deal with it. I'm going here. I ask him like, Hey, you know, I got it. Like, do you care if I do this? She's like, go for it. Like, so like, that's why like, I like, you know, I know people think I might be beating a dead horse when I'm like, Oh, you know, it's my family, but like legitimately like this is for my family. Like everything I do, I do for my wife and my son because she's given me the opportunity. Like she said, go do it. You, she, she let, like I was making about like, it's not a lot of money, but I was making $50,000 a year at my, my shoot job. And she let me quit that job to pursue wrestling. Like $50,000 is not a lot of money, but it's not a little bit of a money. Like, I, it's, not, it's, no, it's, quite, no question. It's a decent amount of money to just say, Hey, you know what? We're not going to have that this year. And then when the pandemic happened, I was like, I got to go back to work. Like I, like we're having a kid, like I can't afford to do this. And my wife, like, and I was getting ready to apply for jobs. My wife's like, you're not applying to any job. She's like, you have ring of honor coming up. She's like, and you're going to just, you're going to st- stick it out. She's like, you're going to stick it out and you're going to keep going. Cause something good's going to happen with it. She's like, so don't even bother applying for a job. She's like, maybe four or five months from now. She's like, you might have to apply for a job. She's like, but right now I have a good feeling. She's like, don't even do it. Oh man. That that's awesome. That, that is a great story. And, and that's so, uh, man, it's so great to hear that, that you have that support system, that you have someone there, you know, who your partner who is willing to uh, support you and, and let you pursue your dream, uh, you know, and, and be on board 100% and, and really be the one, as you said, to kind of kick you in the butt a little bit and, and not let you, you know, maybe do what would almost be the practical thing or the pragmatic thing, but to continue pursuing it. And, uh, Man, it's, it's uh, you know, clearly, I'm sure your wife loves you and wants to see you pursue your dreams, but also sees that, you know, you, you have an aptitude for this and, and you're really good at it and you have a lot of potential with it too. So, uh, man, I'm really, really happy for you. I love to hear stories like that. And everybody's got a different journey to get to this point or, you know, to get to a ring of honor or, you know, any of the major companies and um, everybody's got a story and they're all different and, uh, you know, this is a good, this is one of the, this is one of the good ones, man. And, and I'm, I'm very happy for your success. Yeah. Like I, uh, like, uh, the best saying in the world is, uh, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Right. Know, like so many wrestlers see, uh, guys blow up real quickly. You have your MJF and Leo and a couple other guys that blew up quickly and they got signed quickly. Like the two, three years in the business, they got signed. And all the kids want that coming in. They want to be signed in three years, which, you know, ideally, yeah, that's great. Like who the hell doesn't want to be like making guaranteed money wrestling two, three years in like, that's great. But in reality, that's not the case for a lot of people. There's a lot of people been doing it for years and it seems like some people don't want to put in the, the work for long periods of time to do it. Like, trust me, I would have loved to be making decent money when I was 23, but I'm going to be 33 now. And like, I didn't give up. And, but the thing is like, it's it's just because I love wrestling. Like there's no other reason behind it. Like I'm doing this because I love wrestling. I'm not doing this because I'm going to become famous. I'm not doing this because I'm going to make a lot of money. If that stuff comes, that's cool. But like at the end of the day, I'm I'm a wrestling fan that I love to wrestle and that's what it is. And that's the way it's always going to be. Like it'll be so hard for me to step away from wrestling. Well, I was going to say, there's nothing better, man, when you can do what you love get paid for it, you know, like it's a cliche, but you know, it's like, well, if you, you know, you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, which isn't necessarily true. I, I get the sentiment behind it because you're still working hard. You're still grinding. But the fact that you can 
earn a paycheck doing what you love. I mean, there's, there's really nothing better than that. And, and I, you know, even someone like me who gets to do this, like to work in the wrestling business on my end, um, I, I've never uh, taken for granted that, you know, nothing wrong with digging a ditch. You could be out there digging a ditch, but man, I'm glad I'm doing this instead. Yeah. I, I like I said, like, it's just, I never thought it would be something that was plausible by just, you know, making a living off of wrestling. Cause like, I, I'm a realist. I know, I know, I I know wrestling's a aesthetically pleasing business. And sometimes, you know, like I'm not the tallest, you know, I'm not the biggest, but I always thought to myself uh, when I was on the Indies of wrestling in front of nobody, I was like, man, if I actually got a real chance to, to run with this and like dedicate a lot of time, I think I could do something. Like I always had the faith in me that I, I could potentially do something, but I was just like, you know, being in college and stuff like that. And like, I grew up poor and like, I was poor until I was probably like 25. Like, it's not like I, I was like, I couldn't just like live in my car. Like, you know, people say, yo, you can live in your car. It shows you how much you want it. But in reality, like I'd rather be at least eating real food and living in a house than, you know, sometimes pursuing my dreams at some points. Uh, and you got to look at that way. Like, and that was where I was looking at that point. Cause I was by myself. I had my dogs. I don't want to be living. I don't want my dogs living in a car. <laughs> right. Yeah. I get a little crowded with the pets. In there. Well, you know, I, you mentioned one other thing there too, when it, is the size factor and I get it. You know, I, I'm older than you. I grew up a fan. Um, well, really I go back all the way to the seventies, but even, you know, I was certainly a fan in the eighties when, yeah, a guy your size had zero chance. Um, and you just, you got to wonder how many guys, how many really talented individuals through the eighties and the early nineties and like, just never got an opportunity. Like how many people missed out just because there was basically a size requirement or, or you weren't allowed in, or you certainly weren't going to make it big if you were allowed in. Uh, but yeah. I think what's great about today is, I mean, you can make the case that Jonathan Gresham is the best performer in this business right now. And, and Jonathan Gresham certainly is never going to be the tallest guy or, or weigh the most. So, you know, I think there really is, it, it's great that everybody has an opportunity uh, regard, you know, there's talent comes in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. Like I remember when I first started wrestling, uh, WWE used to be very strict on like the hiring policy. Like uh, they're like, if you were over 29, they normally didn't take a look at you. <laughs> right. Like that was, this was like 12 years ago. And like, it was really that, that influx of the indie talent that was going in like your Kevin Steen, El Generico, Daniel, uh, Brian Danielson or whatever, um, Tyler Black and all those guys going in that they just started seeing that like, we could potentially make some money off the guys coming to the indie. So they started like opening up. So like all those guys opened up a lot of doors for people like me. Like they're not the biggest. Like Adam Cole's not the biggest. Like, Adam Cole's like my my size. Maybe he might be a, like a little bit more taller than me, but not by much. But like those guys have been opening doors for us like crazy. That I'm able to do this for a living. Yeah, I think it just comes down to if uh, if you have the talent in the ring, and certainly it helps if you can talk. Uh, helps a lot uh, if you can do those two things. You know, regardless of your size there's a, there's a place for you in this business and uh, you know, a good spot as well. So that, before we take our last break, that's the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, uh, is your character uh, for someone who hasn't, 
let's say someone listening to this has never really seen much of Tony Depp. Maybe they saw, you know, the match against PJ or, you know, the stuff you did at final battle. I mean, how would you describe who uh, Tony Depp in the wrestler is? I think the first thing that may be striking is if they see a photo of you, you have some pretty interesting facials. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people's favorite um, comparison to me is like, he's Bob Backlund's younger son. Yeah. Like, that's what a lot of people say. Like, he, like, like he reminds me of a really young Bob Backlund, but obviously Bob was a little bit bigger than me. And then like sprinkle in like a personality of Chuck Taylor with him. Okay. I see that. Like right now, like right now, like obviously uh, I don't, in my personal opinion, because there are no fans, ring of honor fans have not gotten to experience who I am as a wrestler completely. Cause I, I, I'm a lot different when there's fans. Like I like to interact with fans. I like to, to gab with it. Like it's, it's, it's going to be a lot different the, the second these fans. Cause like I, I feel their energy and like it, it pushes through me and it gets me riled up. Now when people, when, when you say Bob Backlund, see to me uh, again, I grew up uh, in Baltimore, a WWF city. So I watched a lot of Bob Backlund matches uh, when he was the WWF champion. So there was two, two distinct, Bob Backlund. There was Bob Backlund, the All-American boy, the WWF champion. And then there was crazy Mr. Bob Backlund. Uh, crazy Mr. Bob Backlund is the one that I... That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be All-American because I definitely don't look like an All-American. Yeah. yeah it's, the, it's the crazy Bob Backlund. You're just like... Because he was always like wide-eyed and stuff yes. like that. And that's like... And like I never... like I, Facials, I feel like, convey a great story in a match like you may not you, you could use less moves if you have great facials because you'd be able to convey what's going on and where you're going with the match no question big part of the art form certainly is the facials no question about that all right well we're going to take our final break and then when we come back we're going to do 10 questions with tony deppin how do i watch roh tv start by visiting rohwrestling.com and using our zip code lookup tool to find your local listings we aren't in your area? Don't worry. You can catch us on digital channels such as Stadium and Stir City, as well as Fight.TV. ROH TV also airs every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on Best on the Planet, our newly launched 24-7 streaming channel, which is available on Stir and Plex. The newest episode of ROH TV is always free on ROHWrestling.com and the Ring of Honor app. Ring of Honor has never been easier to watch. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Tony Deppin. Tony, are you ready to play a round of 10 questions? Yes, let's do it. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something that's on your bucket list? This could be pro wrestling or just life in general. Oof. Travel to Europe. I was supposed to go there before covid but you know that kind of said no but i'd like to go to europe and travel okay. like i've already oh. done japan so i can't say japan so would you like to wrestle in europe or is this a, just a vacation <laughs> um, mix of both like i like i have a history degree so i love history okay well now question number two it was, was is what's a subject you'd like to know more about uh, i love just learning about sports history like i right now i'm looking at you i have uh Death of the Territories, which, you know, goes over all the territories and the death of them and, like, how it's how it became. And then I have a book on the 1919 World Series. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Question number three. 
what's something that's popular that you don't see the appeal of? Huh. Probably like TikTok or something like that. I don't understand. I, I really don't get it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't like. I, I I don't understand it. Like, I scrolled through it for a little bit, and I'm just like, why? Why do people do this? I'm like, these videos aren't even funny. Like, no, it's like YouTube for people with a short uh, attention span. Yeah, yeah. My kids uh, are big into TikTok. My kids are a little bit old. Yeah, you know, they're 11 and uh, 15, and they're into the TikTok. And you know, they'll show me these videos, and I'm like, it's not funny. Like, I yeah, that's. I don't get it. Okay. All right, question number four. Uh, we've established in this show, obviously, that you're a family man, very happily married. But I have to ask you, who is your celebrity crush? Or maybe you can say who was your celebrity crush when you were younger. Before I, you were. My wife knows who my celebrity, uh, Livia Benson. I don't know her name from uh, Law & Order SVU. Okay. Oof, man, my wife knows. Like, that's, that's my crush. My wife knows that in a heartbeat. You got the hall pass, do you, from, from your wife? Oh, yeah. And uh, Brenda Corcoran, whatever her name is, from uh, Shark Tank. I don't know why. She's like 60, but I don't know. <laughs> well, she knows what she's doing. No question about that. All right. Uh, question number five. If you could have a convert, and this might be really interesting for you since you said you're a, you're a history buff. If you could have a conversation with anyone, living or dead, past or present, who would it be? Hmm. Probably like uh, it's uh, Martin Luther King Day, so I'd love to have a conversation with Martin Luther King Day and just get his opinion on how the world is today. Like if I could show him what's been going on and be like, this is what's going on, but like, what do you think? Yeah. Boy, there's a lot we could – we don't want to get too political on the show, but man, there's a lot we could uh, talk about there. Okay. Question number six. What's the first concert that you ever attended? Um, I went in 2000. One, I think it was. I would see Real Big Fish in Suburban Legends, I think it was, in, in Delaware. I was down there camping, and, my, and they ran. We played. Okay, so probably not a lot of big uh, acts coming through Shimokin, correct? Uh, no, we used to have a, a small venue, and we I would just book, like, punk bands that I thought were popular, and <laughs> they weren't that popular. Okay. All right, question number seven. Uh, I had this down on the list before we started our conversation, so I, I think I might already know the answer. Uh, are you a dog person, a cat person, both or neither? I have uh, both. I have oh, okay. two dachshunds, and then I have a uh, sphinx cat, which are the hairless cats. Okay, yeah, those are interesting. interesting. Yeah, my, my wife and I adopted her last year, which I'm happy we adopted her because they're $2,000 cats, and I'm not paying $2,000 for a cat. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number eight. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Something that you're into that eh, maybe you might not want to admit, but that you'll admit here. Hmm. This is a family show now, Tony, so keep that in mind. Uh, hmm. I don't know if I have, like, I'm, I'm pretty open about what I like to everybody. But like, I, I, like, I like pop, like really poppy music. Like that's like a lot of emotions behind it. I don't know why. Like I could listen to Whitney Houston. I don't know why. I love Whitney Houston and Nelton John and stuff like that. But then if you'd see what's on my like iPod or something like that or my playlist, you'd be like, wait, you just went from this to Elton John or Whitney Houston. Yeah, man. That's hey, uh, whatever you like, you like. But 
We might have to revoke your punk rock card on that one. <laughs> Listen, I won't admit I won't admit that when I was 15. I was right. too punk for that. All right. Question number nine. I don't know how strict you are about your diet. I would assume that you are. Uh, you look like you're in great shape. But do you have a favorite cheat food? Taco Bell, easily. Like that's that's my wife's go go to. My wife and I's go to place. Like we uh, had our engagement photos taken at Taco Bell. <laughs> and we are actually uh, finalists for the uh, Taco Bell uh, contest they had that you got to be married, first people ever married at their uh, chapel in Las Vegas. We were in like fourth place. Wait, there's a Taco Bell chapel in Las Vegas? Yeah. You can get, yeah. If we would have won, we would have had like four flights over there. They would cater the entire thing and <laughs> get married there. Oh, that's outstanding. That was, a, that was our last ditch effort of not having to pay for a wedding. We came close, <laughs> but. Lost in the end. All right. All right. Qu question number 10. This is our final question. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? Uh, and I guess, are you, if you haven't, uh, are you a believer in such things? I, I, I am a believer, but I, I remember the only thing I, that comes to my mind is, uh, my friends and I, when we were younger, since, you know, we weren't into what everybody else was doing, like drugs and stuff like that, we would just go to abandoned places. And uh, we're from a coal mining town. So they're like, it's, it's not exactly, like, you know, people were dying in the mines and all that fun stuff. And we went to some place and uh, we were walking and we were videotaping it. And we were walking and all of a sudden my friend dropped something. He's like, what the hell was that? Like, he's like, who touched me? Like, nobody, like, shut up, dude. Like. You're just saying some stuff. So then we back, we went back and uh, watched the tape. And when my friend drops it, you could see an imprint of a hand go on his back. And wow. like, it was, yeah, we were just like, what the hell was that? And like, we kept rewinding. We're like, wow. Like, I think that was like the only time I've really experienced stuff. I may have experienced some stuff. Like the other night I, I, I went into my, to the baby's room. Cause my wife's like, Hey, can you come in here real quick? And like we had a sound machine on, but we didn't know it because like it had a heavy breathing one. We didn't know it. And she's like, what the hell is that noise? I just thought it was like, like I just heard like this little child, like heavily breathing. I was like, what the hell is this stuff? And then I found it was a toy, like just hiding. <laughs> I, was, I was getting scared there for a second. I was like, this house can't be haunted. Nobody died in it. Right. Yeah. It's all, a lot of times there's a rational explanation, but sometimes there's things you can't explain. That's for, that's for sure. Uh, and yeah, the mining thing. For sure, they, uh, you know, all the ghost hunter, the ghost adventures type shows, they always do the mining towns. A lot of stuff, yeah. a lot of material there. My uh, history uh, teacher in high school, he has a picture on his wall. Like he, uh, he always, he always had it hanging in his classroom uh, because apparently somebody died in his house years ago, many many years ago, and you could see a body walking down a flight of steps, like ghost like straight up good and like and this was before like every like everybody had access to uh, like real good photoshops and this guy's old as hell he doesn't know how to do that stuff right well that sounds <laughs> legit to me <laughs> all right well tony before we uh, wrap this up uh you know we established earlier that you you have your uh, social media following uh so if there are people out there who want to you know become part of the uh tony deppin social media following how do they follow you uh, on a Twitter and just search Tony Deppin. Like, obviously that's like, that's where I, my main interaction goes. Instagram is Insta Deppin. I 
I just post pictures of my son right now, like because I'm not wrestling as much, so I don't have anything to post. Minus pictures of my kid. <laughs> and I do have Facebook, but I don't add fans on that because that's more for, for personal. Like I, it's under my real name, and my real name is Anthony Deppin. Like this isn't some gimmick name. Like my my mom calls me Tony because that's you know short for Anthony. But I don't normally. I have like three thousand people sitting in my inbox for friend requests because I don't add people. Gotcha. It's mainly for like family or like legit friends. Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, Tony, man, it was great. Uh, we've never gotten a chance to speak before, so it was uh, it was awesome having you on here. Uh, you have a great story, and uh, man, I, I can't wait to see more of you in Ring of Honor. Hopefully, at some point, well, definitely at some point, uh, we'll be at a show live. I will watch you live, not just uh, on my television. Yeah, let's hope it's sooner than later. That's for sure. A hundred percent. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody out there as well for listening. And remember, a new episode of the ROH Strong Podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked on ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe, and let's all be ROH strong.